the Canadian Military History Podcast. Music provided by the Royal Regiment of Canada and the 48th Highlanders of Canada. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Today I have the privilege of recording the story of Captain Pat Woods. Pat Woods joined the Canadian Grenadier Guards in Montreal in 1986, and he's moved through several different units, such as the Governor General's Foot Guards and the Hastings and Prince Edward Regiment. He has the unique experience of being commissioned from the ranks, And if I can just touch on that very quickly, the whole concept behind commissioning from the ranks is you take a non-commissioned member, so a sergeant or a master corporal or a warrant officer, and you make them a commissioned officer. So you would bring them into where they would be considered to be equivalent. So a company sergeant major or a master warrant officer would be capable of working at the company level. Therefore, you would make them a rank that's suitable for working at the company level, such as a captain. Whereas if you had a sergeant or a warrant officer, you would deem them to be capable of working at the platoon level, and you would make them a lieutenant. Now, commissioning of the rank does come with a specific stigma attached to it. We do call it uh, getting a lobotomy when you're in the MCM Corps. But honestly, what you're doing is you're bringing a level of experience to the officer corps that just cannot be attained through the officer development system. The other thing that happens out of consequence is that the succession plan behind building your senior NCO corps or your warrant officers and on to RSM, you're essentially pulling a piece of that puzzle out. And depending on the strength of the unit succession plan and depending on the strength of the unit itself and the health of the unit, that could hurt the unit in the long run. So it's it's a carefully planned and carefully considered step to commission from the ranks. Pat Woods, my guest today, has commissioned from the rank of Master Warrant Officer into the rank of Captain and he's moved on into the officer world. Here's my interview with Captain Pat Woods. Captain Woods, welcome to the podcast. Thanks uh, very much, Mike. I'm very happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to it. So you and I met during our 6B course in Gagetown, New Brunswick, and then we met again on our pre-deployment training before we went to Sierra Leone together. And actually, we met again at the airport on our way to Sierra Leone right after our pre-deployment training. We did, Mike, and unfortunately, the, the circumstances on uh, route to our deployment were a little more pleasant, I think, than when we were in Gagetown. I think that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, the uh, first class lounge was better than the training area in Gagetown. Absolutely. Oh, man. So you've had a chance to look at the questions and review the questions and prepare. Let's get right into it. Why did you join the Canadian Armed Forces? I think uh, at that time, like when I joined, although I do come from a, a military family, I have two brothers who were serving with me at the same time. Before that and before my, my father was a member as well in the Armed Forces, when I joined, I was 16, and I was in grade 11, and that didn't really have any bearing on me. At the time, I was with my high school buddies, and uh, we had all decided to join. Now, some went 
the route of one became an engineer, two were armored, and at that time I had uh, chosen the, the path of the infantry. All the while, I had two brothers who were already enrolled, but that didn't really factor in that much. It was, it was more because of my buddies, really, is why I did it. And then which unit did you join? At the time, Mike, it was 1986, and I was uh, a young fella, teenager living in Montreal, and I joined the Canadian Grenadier Guards. I knew you had been in the Hastings and Prince Edward Regiment and the Governor General's Foot Guards, but I didn't know you were in the Grenadier Guards as well. That, uh, that did come, it came a little bit later, but I, uh, from 86, the day I joined, until about 1992, I was there. And uh, at that point, I moved on to the Governor General's Foot Guards in Ottawa from 92 to 99. And from that point on to 99 to the present, I'm uh, in fact a hasty P. What was the world like when you joined? Oh, boy, was it ever different. <laughs> I mean, in the, uh, in the mid-80s, it was, it was about as, uh, as different as you could get. I mean, we could, we could the analogy I would draw possibly would be typewriters and, uh, and computers sort of thing. Talking about doctrinally, there was all kinds of different different aspects, like the Soviets, East and West Germany, the Fulda Gap. Uh, this was far before the time of counterinsurgency operations were ever on the radar for anybody. So vastly different. Um, I mean, uh, we can speak of doctrinally in the armed forces, and that, that was the case. But I mean, even from a, an administrative vantage point as a primary reservist, Vastly different, my God, in, in terms of the pay and, and the pay system and, and the, the frequency of the pay and benefits. Uh, it, was, it was very different. I think a, a huge factor as well was the, the quality and the breadth, possibly, of the training we received as, as primary reservists as opposed to our, uh, our regular colleagues. And at that time, the delta was quite significant between the two of us. Right. Nowadays, it, it's, it's virtually gone. So it was... It was Certainly a, a far different time. Definitely. I remember that I didn't get paid for the first 18 months of my service as a private. <laughs> <laughs> I did my recruit basic training for free. It was fantastic. Nothing like well, it. Oh, exactly. And it wasn't a whole lot back then either, was it? <laughs> no, but they were ready to collect my mess dues, that's for sure. Oh, you, they wouldn't let you skin off on those, I hear you. Oh, yeah. man. So what were you like when you joined? Oh, geez, I, I tell you, Mike, uh, you know, I was, I was 16 years old when I enrolled. I was, I was the youngest member in the, uh, the Canadian Grenadier Guards at that time. So I had the seat of honor at the Christmas dinner, I yeah. remember well. But once again, grade 11 student. Uh, my parents enrolled me, so they very supportive and willingly signed me up, as it were. So I, I began my service as a 16-year-old. Uh, I mean, you know, back in the day, what did a 16-year-old know, right? And what did I know about the Army? And, and uh, so, so, frankly... It was an adventure, and I, I embraced it, and I enjoyed it. Once again, the culture of the time, the driving force, very different. I, I look back on it fondly. What is your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces? My, there's a few. I mean, I would say most prominently, I had the opportunity to serve with my two older brothers, which was fantastic. It was a tremendous opportunity. I did that for about 12 years, and uh, we were... Well, the most memorable was when we were all sergeants at the same time in the same regiment which was quite comical for confusion's sake. Three Sergeant Woods on the same unit at the same time was, I, I enjoyed it tremendously looking back on it. Once is since retired, one is since retired, and uh, the remaining one is, is a master one officer in the Governor General's Foot Guards right now. But that was certainly uh, my most memorable one. But, uh, but I think a, a close memorable time for me was my first deployment on uh, all Palladium in Bosnia on Roto 13, which occurred in 2003-2004. Uh, and that was special because it was, it was the all-reserve company. They called it the Crick. 
the composite reserve infantry company. And uh, from the, the company commander to the lowest rifleman, it was all reservists. Right. It was a, a, a hallmark event. It, it coincided with the road to zero in Afghanistan, the deployment to Kabul. And, and I think it, the barrier made for us is it shattered many barriers for, for primary reservists going overseas in that we were all at rank, employed in our trade. It sort of put a, a stake through the heart of the bad days in the, the earlier Early Yugoslavia locations where there was instances of, of sergeants being forced to relinquish their ranks to corporal and why not to deploy it. We, we haven't looked back since, and the, the, the days of relinquishing our rank have never come back. And I'd like to think they never will. But that was another uh, very memorable moment in my career. So speaking about rank, you were a warrant officer? I was a master warrant officer, and I, uh, I commissioned to the rank of captain. Uh, that was about three and a half years ago. Right, but on that tour with the Crick. Yes, that's correct. I was uh, I was employed as a platoon warrant officer, and it was called uh, Charlie Company in the uh, in an RCD battle group. We were, in fact, mounted in illnesses. <laughs> <laughs> now, you were employed as a warrant officer, but your appointment was platoon commander, though, for most of the time. I was, well, but that was sort of a an unusual twist of fate in that, well, I, I, and I had a tremendous platoon commander. Uh, to this day, he's, he's a major in the uh, Stormont Dundas and Glengarry Highlanders. Uh, he was a great man. He hurt himself playing soccer for PT, one, against, one of the rare times he went against my uh, my recommendations. <laughs> but uh, I ended up being a platoon commander. And once again, overseas, towards the end of the deployment, he was detached, and I, I took over once again. So uh, in, in sort of an oddball, I was, I was in fact, you're right, employed as a platoon commander for the majority of that deployment. Wow. Any other memorable experiences you want to cover? Um, I think, I mean, further on, my, my other deployments were, were all memorable in their own right. I had two in Afghanistan, and, and ours, you, you and I, Mike, in Sierra Leone, was for the fact that it was a, it was a memorable event as well. And Sierra Leone was, its own, in its own distinct way, was unique. It was a small mission, and, and you know, being in West Africa and doing what we did when you were the RSM, and, and I was had the opportunity to teach uh, junior officers in the uh, Sierra Leonean Armed Forces. It was I mean, it was, once again, they're, they're all different, but they're all very memorable in their own right. Right. So who is your greatest influence, or who is your most memorable character? Well, geez, that, that's another good question, Mike. And I, and I think once you get on in years, like much like you and I, uh, we've had the opportunity and, and much service. A few have come about. I think that the, the, the most memorable one I had was as a young infantry private, as it were, on my recruit course, or crutch on my infantry course. Uh, this was the summer of 1986, and I was a member of the Canadian Grenadier Guards, and was the uh, course officer in my infantry course. And to this day, he still sticks in my mind. He was a great man, but I sort of patterned and used him as a template for what uh, an infantry, a, a young, fit infantry platoon commander should be like. And he was, he was a tremendous man. He was, he was fit, he was smart, he was approachable. And in fact, his second in command was somebody that, uh, a, a good bud of you and I, Emmett Kelly. So he could uh, speak to that as well. What was the name of the platoon commander? His, his name was Alex Crookshank. Yeah, he was, like I said, he, he was sort of everything that a, a, you would expect of a, of a young infantry officer. And, uh, you know, it, it served me well later on. I, I would sort of set my expectations as in using him as a template. But I, I would say that there was other personnel as well, Mike. Uh, I mean, as I became matured as a senior NCO, I recall there was a master warrant officer, a sergeant major. He was a, uh, a patrician, in fact. RSS at the Governor General's Foot Guards in Ottawa. His name was Tony Clark. Excellent man, tremendous man. Uh, and I don't think to this day I've ever seen such a, a skilled mentor, a very skilled infantry non-commissioned officer. Like I said, to this day, I don't think I've ever seen anybody mentor as efficiently and as, and as dutifully as him. So, so like I said, there's been a couple, Mike. Any others you'd like to cover? You touched on Emmett Kelly. He's pretty memorable, and he's a character. <laughs> it was very memorable in the character back in the days when he was in the Black Watch. <laughs> but uh, it was, and it was good to see him again. 
I hadn't seen Emmett when we met Mike in Sierra Leone, and I saw him come in. I had not seen him in 25 years. Yeah, I remember you saying that. You mentioned it once or twice. So it was quite quite the shock value, but uh, uh, I don't think we missed a beat when we got back together. So it was, it was pretty easy to get back. <laughs> yeah. So moving on to the final question, what was the greatest challenge you had to overcome? Well, I, I think in many respects, it, it, it might just be the, the sort of uh, reconciling being a full-time reservist in a re- regular context. Um, now, what I mean by that, Mike, is that for many years, like I said, in, in sort of the dark old days of the 80s and 90s, being a reservist, there's was, there was at times a stigma attached to it, and, and granted, we did not have the training we should have had at the time, um, and, and there was a delta, and we were certainly deficient in some aspects, not through any fault of our own but through the individual training system at the time. A great equalizer for us came with the, the sort of the, the birth of the crick as it were, on Roto 13 in Bosnia, and furthermore in Afghanistan. So, uh, I mean, I think there was some of the biases we had to go through was being reservists. Now, myself and yourself, never having had regular force service, uh, I think you can appreciate that. But uh, uh, mentioning that, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that things have gotten far, I mean, vastly better in that respect, I would say in the past 10 years. Yeah, definitely. Once again, I'm, I'm not pointing the fingers anywhere, any way, or anyhow, but it was certainly rectified and, and our individual training system has gotten much better. Our operational experience has gotten light years ahead now. And uh, I, I think that that was probably the biggest challenge as a, as a reservist. Any other challenges? I can't honestly say that anything was as, as challenging as that, Mike. I, right. I think that was certainly the biggest one. So is there anything else you'd like to talk about, just to summarize? I think it's been great. Uh, I think these are sort of the, the, the narratives that need to be told because God knows there's there's enough of us out there, and you've, you've, you know whether it's from the senior NCO perspective or the officer perspective or the senior officer perspective, it's these are stories worth telling, and, and they need to come out. Certainly in the context of the primary reserve, there, there's many stories, and we're all old soldiers. And uh, like yourself and myself, Mike, I think at some point we always cross paths once again, and it's a small army, yeah. and uh, their, their story is worth telling. Well, thanks for taking the time to have your story recorded. I really appreciate it. I did enjoy our time in Sierra Leone, perhaps much better than our time in Gagetown, but even our time in Gagetown was memorable as well. I, I think it should be mentioned your, your cooking skills in the kitchen were tremendous, Mike. <laughs> you need some kudos for that, my God. I came I came preloaded with those skills so that, that's fantastic. Well, this is Captain Pat Woods. What's your appointment right now? Where are you working? 33 Brigade Battle School in Canada Rangers in Ottawa. Well, I know that's a busy place to work. I've also had service with the Canadian Grenadier Guards, the Governor General's Foot Guards and the Hastings and Prince Edward Regiment. Yeah, cool, thanks man. for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh yeah, man, it's a, it's a great thing you got going. I, God knows I wouldn't have thought of this. You're, you're doing something right, buddy. <laughs> Keep at her. Best of luck, and I'll, I'll spread the gospel. Thanks for helping me out. This is great. No worries, buddy. Take care. Thanks. So that was my interview with Captain Pat Woods. I hope that this has been enjoyable for you to listen to. I am getting a lot of good feedback from the site, and I'd also like to thank MWO James Smith, retired, for his generous donation in supporting the podcast. The funds that I generate from this podcast go directly into the production and maintenance of the podcast. If you can understand, keeping a website up and uploading files does cost money to me personally, and if you enjoy this, I really do appreciate the donations. Sergeant Major Smith did not provide any message. Thank you very much 
much for the donation. It is really appreciated. If you know of any stories that you'd like me to cover, I would really appreciate you getting a hold of me at my email address, Mike Lacroix, cmhp at gmail.com. My next guest will be very thrilling and exciting. I hope that people are looking forward to it. I'm going to keep it under wraps right now. I think everything's going to pan out and will work. I'm going to keep you in suspense until next week. Peeling back the curtain here a little bit. I do understand that some of my editing cuts so far have been a little bit choppy, so I'm hoping to clean up the editing cuts. I probably shouldn't even mention it because now you're going to be listening for them. Uh, I did have the opportunity to visit the Royal Regiment of Canada for their change of RSM, and I did manage to thank many of them in person for their support, especially with providing their music and permission to use their music. The event was the change of RSM for Chief Warrant Officer Nick Webb to Chief Warrant Officer Dave Turnbull. It was a good event, a good parade, and good times with some good friends. For those of you living in the Toronto area and want to support the podcast, I do have a fundraiser planned. You can reach me at my email address and I can reply with the details about the fundraiser. So keep listening and I hope to hear from you. I do appreciate your feedback either on iTunes. Uh, No one has signed my guest book yet on my webpage. So take a minute, visit my webpage www.com canadian military history podcast.ca and fill out a page on my guest book it would be really appreciated and i will share your message on the air thanks a lot thanks for your support and uh, do stay tuned for next week and next week's amazing guest all my guests are amazing but this one will hopefully blow your socks off enjoy thank you for listening to the canadian military history podcast i hope that you've enjoyed this episode if you did enjoy the podcast please leave some feedback on itunes If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at mikelacroixcmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. NTAG music is provided by the Governor General's Horse Guards. This is a Mike Lacroix production. Views and opinions expressed on the Canadian Military History Podcast are those of the guests of the podcast and do not necessarily reflect the views of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Canadian Armed Forces, or the Government of Canada. All recordings are copyright Mike Lacroix Productions.